You are listening to sermon audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more sermon audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Amen. Morning, church. I am excited for what you guys get to do today. So we are doing something a little different this morning, and this is something um, that that we've been talking about as I kind of have taken over some of the vision for how we do uh, the teaching schedule and those things. One of the things um, that, that myself and our elder board is really, really passionate about is us as a church coming together to raise up pastors, church planners, and missionaries. And one of the things we've landed on that's a really important way to do that is when someone feels called into ministry and we're um, trying to be obedient to God and developing and preparing them, and that is giving them opportunities to practice the gift of preaching. And so we're going to set up a couple Sundays throughout the year where we invite up some of these guys who aren't elders at our church or elder candidates, but who we see kind of long-term a vision for developing them into leadership, whether it's on the mission field or church planning or pastoring and, and inviting honestly, and I'm not joking when I say this, inviting you guys as the church body into coming alongside them and helping sharpen them and grow them as leaders. And so we're going to do that this morning. Brandon Hughes is going to, is going to give us uh, the sermon this morning. A lot of you guys know Brandon, um, but I want to encourage you to be in this with him. If you know Brandon, you know uh, he's gifted in ministry and, and feels called to the pastorate. And so this morning, you guys get to be his guinea pigs and you get to be his accountability and his sharpening all together. And so I'm going to pray over Brandon uh, and then we're going to have an awesome time this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for uh, the gift and the privilege um, of getting to worship uh, together as a family. God, thank you for, for Brandon and the gifting and the calling you've given him. Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that he would be your vessel, that you would anoint him and speak through him, that, that he uh, would not speak to us today, but that you would speak uh, and that we would all be edified by your truth and your gospel. God, we ask today for all of us that uh, the words we say, the things we think, that these things would be glorifying to you. We trust you for this, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Hello, hello. Boom. Woo. What's up, guinea pigs? Just joking. I'm going to do something a little weird this morning. Sam kind of gave me permission, but I'm going to take my shoes off because I hate these shoes I have on, and uh, I just want to be free. I do have pain on my socks, so don't try to, don't look at that too much, but I just want to go into Hebrews 4 immediately, so you guys get out your Bibles. I don't know if you guys felt the presence of the Holy Spirit this morning. Um, wow. Worship was awesome. That was amazing. Um, I haven't felt that kind of rest in a while. And so I think the Lord just really laid on me that we should go into Hebrews 4. I typically don't have a lot of notes when I preach normally. 
Uh, I'm trying to get better at that so I can stay on track. So this may be a Holy Spirit-led service, or it may not be. It, it will be nonetheless, but it may be through sheets, or it may be through no sheets. So Hebrews 4 is where we're at. I don't really have a message prepared today, so we're just going to read through the Word and do, do our thing. I'm joking. I do have a message, but it could change. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4. A lot of you guys know my wife and I. We've been here for about maybe a little over a year, and uh, God has taken us through a lot of different things in the past couple years. We were at a church for about 10 or 11 years, well, I was before I met her. That's where I met her. It was probably the best part of that church, other than growing in my walk with the Lord. And we've just been through a lot of trial with that church. I was in leadership there. And some of you know our story at that church. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to a broken church that's uh, gone through trial and a lot of transition. Um, I think that's what's happening here at Red Tree, not brokenness, but there's been a lot of change and transition in the last year. And we kind of stepped in right as that was happening. And so I was able to kind of quickly identify things that I've seen in other situations, in church and business and relationships. And so I feel like when that kind of thing happens, there is a tendency for us as people to take our focus off of God, off of Christ, and put it on men and put it on leaders or new leaders or people coming and going or families staying and families leaving. And I think in that tendency, we are prone to fall into offense, which leads to gossip and assuming, which leads to resentment, which leads to a whole fire of issues, as James talks about in chapter 3, uh, when gossip takes over a church. And so I just feel like God has really laid it on my heart this morning in the past several months that we need to be we need to be looking out for that kind of thing, for offense, to take, for offense not to take root in our hearts that would destroy a church as we go through this change as Red Tree. And so I just want to get into Hebrews 4 really quick. Um, something that we've kind of had as a theme in the last year and a half since I've been here is rest, right? Fighting busyness. All of us are super busy. Most of us have families with a lot of kids. Some of us work in the corporate world where we're traveling all over the place to China and India and all over the states. And I feel like God wants us to, to keep this in the forefront of our mind for the new year. This isn't a New Year's message, but it's an all-the-time message. And it's Hebrews 4. And this is when uh, the writer of Hebrews is recalling when Israel came out of Egypt and they were being brought into the promised land and they were all looking forward to Canaan, yet they were in their hearts still in Egypt. They were still a slave to fear, anxiety, doubt, all those things. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 11 just says this. Uh, and so the writer is talking about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And forever has entered that rest, I'm in verse 10, has rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. I just feel like that's a quick word for us this morning. Sometimes it takes striving against busyness to enter the rest that the Lord has provided. At our church in the past, we observed the Sabbath on Saturday, and what happened was people made it about one day of rest. If I can just get to Saturday, I'll be good. If I can just strive to get to Saturday, I'm going to live like hell during the week, stressed, busy, crazy. If I can just get to the Sabbath, I'll be good. But I think God, in His Word through Jesus, provides a Sabbath rest for us all the time. 
24-7. When we are focused on him in every situation, when we are, our gaze is fixed on him, we can walk in that rest 24-7. So I just felt like that needed to be said this morning, maybe for all of us or some of us. I'm just going to open in prayer. Father, I just thank you for just your faithfulness, Lord, your faithfulness in this church, your faithfulness um, even when we are not faithful, God, I thank you that you have great plans for this church, Lord, in the new year, and that there are people here who are willing and ready and able to do your work. God, you are so faithful. Thank you, Father, for how you've just pursued us, even when we <laughs> did not want to be pursued, Lord. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. We love you so much. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So you guys can turn to Ephesians 4. That's our chapter today that we'll be in. Um, I've kind of already talked about just in times of transition, there's a tendency to let offense grow. And so I just want to bring up an example in my own life lately. I, I'm a business owner, and some of you we've done work for here, and um, Cole's worked for me, Lane's worked for me. I just saw Cole smiling at me. He's like, yeah, he has a whip, crack the whip business owner. No, those are good workers right there. Anyway, uh, in the last year, we've transitioned from me being an actual technical partner in the business. The years leading up to that, I was just a, basically an employee doing the work of, an, work of a partner. And so the last year, when you join into a partnership with somebody like that in marriage or in business or in a relationship, you get to know the person a lot better than you think you knew them. So with my business partner, <laughs> Cody knows, Cody works for us. Everyone say hi to my brother-in-law, Cody. If you ever need some good tile work done, that's the guy right there. He's amazing. So we, we entered into an actual partnership, and boy, oh boy, did things start coming up on the surface. I knew that my partner operated in certain ways before that I was kind of like, that's interesting, and he knew the same about me. But as time went on, something kept happening in our relationship where he would do things that would just set me off or that would bother me, and I would just say, nope, nope, it's okay, I'm not going to worry about it, and I would brush it under the rug. And after a while, those things, those little things that I would brush under the rug became bigger and bigger and bigger before I had all this resentment stored up in my heart toward him. Anybody ever done that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I had all this resentment in my heart stored up toward him, and I was walking in a fence toward my brother all the time. And what happened, this is what I want to talk about today. When we allow a fence to enter in and take a stronghold and we don't deal with it, it will affect everything in our life. It will affect relationships, our walk with the Lord, our business decisions, our future decisions, where God is bringing us. It will affect and trickle down into every area of our life. And so that started happening. His name's Jason. That started happening with Jason and I, and God... God brought this truth to mind in Ephesians 4, in verse 32. And this is the truth. This just hit me. Um, it's Ephesians 4, verse 32. And it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. I'm going to read it again. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And we've all read that many times. We've all read similar passages. When I read this, it just hit me. How has Christ forgiven us? Think about that. We're to forgive each other as he has forgiven us. Just think about how he has forgiven us. 
Somebody brought it up this morning. He forgave the very people that crucified him. He forgave the disciples that constantly missed the mark and didn't understand him. He forgave people that were putting him up on the cross, and he could have said, you know what, this is ticking me off, I'm out of here. If anybody had a right to be offended, it was Jesus. And so when I read this phrase, this, when I read this passage, this phrase came into my mind, you have to let people off the hook. All these things that have been happening in my wife and I's life, where we were allowing, I, it was mainly me, was allowing people, where I was allowing people to make and break me. I was allowing what somebody did or didn't do, what somebody did or didn't say, potter me, shape me, mold me, and it was affecting everything in my life. And God, when I read this passage, it was in Texas when I had a nice little getaway. Uh, when I read this passage, it hit me. I have to let people off the hook. Some of us here are holding people on a hook right now because we've put such a high standard on people. We are putting people in the place of Jesus in our heart. We get our eyes off the Lord and we start looking to people and others to fulfill us, to satisfy us, and we have people on the hook in our life. And so I think that's what God wants to address today. If you guys want to turn to Matthew 24, we're going to be all over the place in Scripture, so I like the Bible a lot. I try to read it more and more lately. I will confess, the last year or so, I've been stuck on Facebook more and more, but I like the Bible. It's amazing. Jesus warns of this in the last days, Matthew 24, that many will be offended. Matthew 24, we'll start in verse uh, maybe 12. How about 9? Mouth's getting dry. Sam told me that there's a trick to that. Just put a cough drop in your mouth, so I guess every preacher up here has a cough drop. Anybody else that's preached? Jess, Jesse, you've never had a cough drop up here? Whoa, special treatment. <laughs> Matthew 24. Jesus warns about offense growing in the last days. And so this is, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I used to teach on it sometimes at our old church. Hi, Jackie and George. They used to go to my old church. I love these guys. I used to teach on this all the time at my old church and, and uh, youth group and sometimes up at the pulpit. And so Jesus gives all these signs of the end times. Side note, as Baptists, as Christians in general, we're really good at focusing on the signs and when the end is going to be here. But we forget that there's about three more chapters after this that Jesus says, because these things are coming, you should live like this and reach people. So side note there, that's a whole other sermon. Matthew 24, verse 9 then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. This is happening all over the world right now and will increase. And then they will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. In verse 10, when it says, and they will fall away, one of the translations, if you have like a King's, King James, anybody a KJV only person? Nobody here? Cool. In the King James, it says, and many will be offended. So many will fall away, betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one in, who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Verse 10 again and verse 11. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. What is the law summed up as? Somebody shout it out. I like interaction. What's the law summed up as? Jeff taught on it like two weeks ago. Love God and your neighbor. 
It says right here in verse 13, or verse 12, because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will. If the law is summed up in love God with everything in you and love your neighbor as yourself, as we take our eyes off of God, stop loving God, we'll stop loving each other and our love will grow cold. That's happening today right now all over the place. And so we can be a people that don't have to fall into this category of many falling away because of betrayal. What does he say right here at the end? In this gospel of the kingdom, but verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and the end will come. We don't have to fit into that first category of being the ones who fall away betrayed. We can be the ones who are bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I believe that for this church, for this city, for this state, for this nation, for this world. We can be that people if we stay away from offense and falling away. So, Ephesians 4, back to Ephesians 4. We'll be hopping all over. I believe Paul in Ephesians 4 gives us instructions on how we can walk free of offense. Man, I love this Bible. It's been with me for quite a while. My kids used to, uh, when I would wake up in the mornings and read the Word, my kids would get up and run into the living room. This was when, I mean, they're still really young, but this was when they were just learning how to walk and didn't really have a lot of boundaries. They would just come into the living room and go, what's this? And whoosh, rip pages out of the Bible. That's this. So I have like dozens of pages in here that are taped together. And this is not, this is not an exaggeration for an illustration, but every time they would rip a page off, it was, I would go to tape it back together, and it was to a T what I was praying about or what the Lord had been dealing with me on that day. So don't, you know, us young families who have young kids, don't let that deter you. It could be God, like, ripping stuff out for you to look at. So Ephesians 4 is an amazing chapter. I love the whole book of Ephesians. Sam and I were in the same degree program at Lindenwood. I know Wes is an LU alumni and his wife, Jamie. Shout out to LU. Anyone else? Nope. Sweet. We got spread to all the corners of the earth. Ephesians 4 is, is an amazing chapter. Uh, the book of Ephesians is awesome. And there, there's this theme that runs through the whole book of Ephesians. And it, this theme is the new man. Uh, Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel, that the two shall become one, that he's broken down the wall of hostility, the wall of dividing between Jews and Gentiles. And so there's this theme that's running all throughout the book of Ephesians that's one new man. He's talking about the church corporately, but he's also talking about us. And so for us to, I believe the key for us to walking free of offense is to walk in that newness, is to walk as a new man. And so Ephesians 4 goes into that halfway through the chapter, and kind of the backdrop of Ephesians 4 is the, the five-fold ministry. Anybody know it off the top of their head without looking? What's the five-fold ministry? That's kind of what, like a term that's used in charismatic circles. Shout it out. I like interaction. You can read it, too. I need a water break. Five-fold ministry? Come on, now. Anybody? Teachers, prophets, evangelists? Okay, we'll read it. Everyone's like... Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers... Two, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, 
until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gave us leaders, shepherds in the church for what purpose? For us to grow up into Christ. And so that's the backdrop of the passage we're going to be in. And we're going to start in verse 17. I'll read through it. I kind of want somebody else to read it, but I, I won't do that to you guys. We used to do, do that a lot in kids' ministry. So verse 17, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to the hardness of their heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have been that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So Paul's doing this thing here. He does it in several of his epistles where he's comparing an old man and a new man. The old man is dead. It's in the ground. It's... uh, corrupted with deceitful desires. And what Paul is saying here is, you are not that person. You are not that old man that that died in Christ. You are a new creation, is what Paul is saying here. And he's saying that you have to stop living in the old man. You have to stop living in the flesh. In Ephesians 2, Paul says, you were once dead in your transgressions and sin, and children of wrath children of disobedience, and God made you alive. And so Paul is saying, you are not that old man. He's saying you are a new creation. Verse 24, he says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I'll just tell you guys right now, I've been married for a short, short four and a half years. We have two kids and two on the way. So that's four kids in under four years. Everyone pray for my wife. She's strong. I kind of look at the twin thing as I got two for the price of one. But anyway, that's a really weird, look, a weird way of looking at it. But we've been married for four years, and anybody that's been married longer or even less can tell you, when you put two people together like that, a lot of stuff comes to the surface that you didn't realize was there. And I've learned over time, struggling and stumbling, and I'm not perfect at it, the am- this, is, this may sound weird, but the amount that you have allowed yourself to to be loved by God determines sometimes the amount that you can love somebody else. The amount that you have allowed yourself to be loved by the Lord and set free here determines the amount that you can sometimes love others. And so that's really true in marriage. And I believe that's why Paul is so intent on, look, you are a new creation. The old is dead, the new has come. And There are over 150 declarative statements in just 10 New Testament books alone that talk about who we are in Christ. I think it's pretty important. Like, God, through the Word, mentioned that at least 150 times in just 10 books. And so if God mentioned it that many times and it's that important and and Christ gave that new identity to us, then don't you think that it's probably pretty important on the enemy's radar that he shuts us down in that area. 
I mean, seriously, we, we're in a spiritual warfare like every day. I don't know how much you guys believe about the devil and his works and that stuff. I do enough damage to myself, let alone what, you know, the enemy can do. But he is fighting hard to get us to walk in condemnation, shame, guilt, fear, anxiety. Because this word, Christ died to redeem us. It says that we are created in the, it says the new man is created in the likeness and true righteousness of God. Like he, we had the image of our creator in the garden, right? Jesus came back to give us that again. That image was marred. And so if God mentioned it, if God mentions who the new man is 150 times just in 10 books, like, man, we really need to get after it because it's directly correlated to how we treat each other. Directly correlated to how we treat each other. And so Paul says this phrase, renew your mind. Romans 12, let's go there really quick. Romans 12. Paul's talking about this phrase of renewing your mind. We have to dwell on the word of God every day and know who he is and know who we are in him. Romans 12, most of you probably know this. Famous verse. Romans 12, verse 1 through 3, or 1 through 2. I like that people still have physical Bibles because I can tell when I should read because the pages stop turning. I'll wait. Okay. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Sam had a prayer this morning about how we're doing that, what areas. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of you feel like you've been transformed by the word lately? Good. That's what the word does. It says, be transformed by what? Somebody shout it out. By renewal of your mind, by the word. If we want transformation in our, in our lives, we have to be renewed by this every day. I have failed miserably in that in the last two years. My wife and I used to run the children's program at our old church, and we had like maybe 150 kids at, sometimes, and then over 100 volunteers on a rotation. And so sometimes we'd have a class that was like the size of this whole section in one room, and some, you know, half that section. And so we taught this principle all the time. I learned a science principle once when I was young. I probably don't know any others, but there are over two trillion neurons in a young child's brain. Anybody know that? And at eight, Luke, you knew that? Wow. See, smart. Neurons are firing. And at age two or three, we lose one trillion of those neurons. But we still have a trillion to deal with. Each one of those neurons is capable of forming up to 10,000 branches. Think about that. Pathways in your brain. That's crazy. One trillion neurons, I can't even imagine what one trillion looks like. All little veins, and then each one of those is capable of forming 10,000 branches. And studies have shown depression, anxiety, fear, all those things come from people focusing on negative, on the negative, on how they are horrible, how they messed up, how they screwed up, guilt, shame, all those things. And those things form roots, pathways in your brain. 10,000, boom. It's just crazy. Think about that. 
That's like actual science. And so we can walk free of those things if we start, I hate saying this, but reprogramming our brains with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I don't, I, I, the last two years, I've lived in complete condemnation. I'll just be real with you guys. You can ask Sam. He's helped me walk through a lot of it. But I was just in tears this morning at each and every single song, talking about who the Lord is, what he's done for us, how glorious he is, how much he loves us, who we are in him. I mean, guys, there's so much here. So us seeing ourselves for who we are in Christ affects how we see others and how we love others, and it helps us walk free of offense. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. All over the board, Mr. Paul is getting it today. All the writings of Paul. 2 Corinthians 5. Sam has preached from this a couple times, or at least as a, in addition to his main sermon. This passage will light you up, seriously. <laughs> this passage is amazing. 2 Corinthians 5. And we'll start in uh, verse 11, but talk about viewing people for who they are in the Lord despite what they do in the flesh. Man, you want to talk about healing your marriage. You want to talk about healing your business relationships. You want to talk about walking free of offense. Get in this section of scripture right here. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Just let this, just marinate in this. Just let it, man, I just want to read it like 50 times a day and be done. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, somebody was talking about that earlier, Stephanie. Fear of the Lord. Here we go. This is for you. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast, boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls or compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Verse 14 again, for the love of Christ compels us, controls us, consumes us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Wow. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 16 again. From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. For we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. When Jesus was on this earth, everybody, 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 maybe save Mary and a couple of the women, regarded him according to the flesh. What does that mean? Regarding according to the flesh. They saw him as a man. What good can come from Galilee? Isn't this Mary and Joseph's son? Constantly looking at him in the physical, it's just another guy who's preaching another word. And then he dies, raises again, and people go, light bulb, wow. Because 
Jesus died and rose again, and we no longer regard him according to the flesh. We see him as the Messiah. We have no right to regard anyone in this room according to the flesh, no matter what they do. Think about this. When my kids start yelling and screaming at each other, what's my first instinct? Control, be quiet, you're annoying me. Right? Come on, seriously. I mean, that's just me, and I'm more the stricter guy uh, on the disciplinarian scale than my wife. And so I just, be quiet. That, you know, and I don't say you're annoying me, but that's, that's what it is. <laughs> be quiet. I don't want to be annoyed. I'm trying to work on something, blah, blah, blah. I'm looking at them for how they're acting in the flesh. And what we learned so far at the parenting class is you have to parent and look at the heart. You have to look at people who, for who they were created to be. Who they are. I mean, they're not in Christ yet. But you have, for those who are in Christ, you have to see beyond how we're acting in the flesh. There will be people in this room, probably some of you right now even have beef with each other. Some of you probably have beef with me. I don't know. <laughs> it could very well be. But there, will, there are people in this room that will drive each other crazy as a family and will bite and devour each other is what Paul says in Galatians 5 and we'll regard each other according to the flesh, and we'll constantly be judging each other. Judge not lest you be judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you'll be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Judgment produces judgment against one another. Regarding each other according to the flesh produces the same thing. It's a cycle. And Paul is saying right here, you can't do that. Like, think about this. So we've established the new man thing. Now now I want to get into the practical. One of the things I think that overcomes this offense thing in our life is, man, Cody offended me the other day, and I'm so mad, and I can't believe he did it, and I'm just so upset. And we let that thing fester, and it builds in us. And the thing I think God wants us to see through 2 Corinthians 5 is, Cody is acting out of hurt. Cody was offended at one point. Cody was raised in blah, blah, blah. Cody could be attacked, being attacked by the enemy right now. What if I looked beyond what Cody's flesh was doing and looked at who he was in the Lord? What if we looked at who we were in the Lord to each other? A lot of you in here have amazing discernment. I've talked to many of you. Eric Chambers is really gifted in discernment and calling things out. And sometimes I think the enemy hijacks our gift of discernment to judge each other. And I think when God gives discernment to people, it's to build people up. Yeah, you may see flaws in people's lives, but that's to go to them one-on-one lovingly and say, hey, I just just noticed this, and I just want to say that I believe you're, you know, and speak life over them. So we can't regard each other according to the flesh anymore. Back to Ephesians 4, and then we'll wrap it up. I don't have a timer up here, so. Ephesians 4, we'll just hit on verse 25. I just want to hit a couple practical steps. So kind of out of the theological part now, we need to walk in the new man. We need to be rooted and grounded in who we are in Christ and stop looking to others for acceptance and value to avoid offense, but Paul gives some really practical stuff here. This is super convicting. Ephesians 4, we'll hit verse 25. I need to get there. There we go. Ephesians 4, verse 25. So this is after we've established who the new man is in Christ. It's Christ, the hope of glory, living in you. 
verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And I want to skip down to verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And so we just kind of talked about that. We need to be speaking life over each other. I don't know if you guys know who Donald Trump is, but I'm not going to get into who he is and what he does, but there is a pretty well-known fact about the Trump family that every night he speaks over his children, and he's done it for his, their whole lives. He's spoken success over them. You can do anything you put your mind to. I know it's all worldly, you know, ramp yourself up, blah, blah, blah. But he has every single night spoken life over each one of his children. And look at the fruit, at least in the business world, success-wise. And so I just want to encourage us here right now that we can do that with each other. Sometimes we have categories for people, right? Like, oh, that's Brandon. He's just the redhead that always blah, blah, blah. Or, oh, that's, you know, George. He's always angry and storming out of buildings and slamming doors and we make these categories for each other and for, for each other, and we, we look at people and like, yeah, that's just Lane. He's tall and loud, and he's always, you know, and I, I, those are fun, but what does the word say right here? It says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion. Are we building each other up in our speech? Hebrews says to build one another up as long as we can still call it today. What if this is my last day here? What if this is Scott's last day here? Is he speaking life over me, his wife, his church family? Next one is, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's in verse 26. I'll read it. This one's good, and it's, it's a tough one. So these are just practical steps. Do not let, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And if we skip down to uh, verse... 30, let's see. Oh, where is it? Where does he talk about? There it is. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. All of us have heard this phrase, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Some of us in here have let the sun go down on our anger for far too long with certain people. And in my business partnership, I'll tag back to that story, I was letting bitterness and anger go under the rug constantly. And we let these little things build up, and we brush them off, and we say, no, I shouldn't be offended by that. I'm going to let that go. How many of you have done that? That shouldn't affect me. I'm just going to... And yeah, maybe, maybe down the road it, it should be like that, but the facts of the matter is stuff offends us. And so we brush all these things under the rug, and before we know it, we have a mountain of bitterness and a filter towards people. And so I just, that's kind of where I want to go as we close things up. I want God, I want you guys to start praying to the Lord like right now where you're at. Who have we let the sun go down on our anger multiple times? Because like Sam said earlier, sometimes it's so many times, it's so subtle, so little, brushed under the rug so much, it becomes a mountain that we don't even realize is there and we have a wall between each other, we have a marriage that's falling apart, we have a filter towards our spouse, towards a business partner. And so I just want us, like right now, to just ask the Lord, who have I let that happen to? Who have I allowed 
to get under my skin and have constantly brushed it off in that thing that's taken root in my life. And I have a wall between my spouse. I have a wall between my business partner, my brother. And I think something that can just destroy that is humility and going to that person. Like even today, like let's just get real, guys. We're a church body. Like there's no more time (laughs) to mess around with this stuff. Some of you have been in bitterness for like 20, 30 years. Some of you have been in bitterness for 10, 15 years toward each other. Some of you are about to end your marriage. Some of you are about to end in a relationship. Some of you are about to walk away from a, a lesson that God has for you because you've allowed bitterness to creep in. And some of you don't even realize that it's there, that, that those things have taken root. And so I want us just to get real right now. If we have to go to people in this room, who cares? We're a body that's called to spread the gospel to the world. And the thing that will kill that more than anything is this thing right here, is offense. Is, is gossip and slander turned into resentment. I have a twin brother. There's like 50 twins represented here. I found out the other day. I'm a twin, and my twin brother and I have always competed for identity. We're 32 years old, or 33, I can't remember. How old am I, babe? Am I 32? Yeah. We've always competed for identity our whole lives. God had us both move away to different colleges. Maybe the McAlevey twins are experiencing this right now. I doubt you guys competed for the things me and a twin brother competed against, but we've always competed for everything in our lives, and we've always had this resentment and kind of underlying, I just want to punch this guy in the face right now, but hey! And over the years, the only thing that's ever cured that is when him and I either individually or one of us, it just takes one, grows in our walk with the Lord, and we're not holding the other one on the hook. It just takes one person Even if the other person doesn't reciprocate, who cares? You need to be free in your heart. It just takes you humbling yourself. So this past week on the holidays, we all got a cabin in the middle of the woods and put all of our family in there. Good idea, right? And my brother and I, when we're away from people, man, it's awesome because there's no like pressure. There's no, that's Nick, that's Brandon, which one is which? And not that it's that bad. Our family knows who we are. But we were just building each other up in the Lord. And the moment everyone came in and all the families arrived, and his kids, my kids, my other brother's kids, my sister's kids all started mixing and mingling. I'm disciplining my kids a certain way. He's disciplining his his kids a certain way. He's feeding his kids a certain way. I'm feeding my... And before you know it, we're about ready to strangle each other. Because we're making little jabs here and there like, what, are they, what do your kids even eat? Do they even eat healthy? And like, just constant nitpicking because we haven't dealt fully with those things. And the last morning of us all being together, he just, he said something to me that just set me off. And I'm like, we almost like fists in the kitchen, like in the face. I could, we could both feel it. And he said something that set me off. I was trying to help him with his daughter doing what I thought he wanted me to do. And so he said something that set me off, and I walked away from the whole experience mad. He walked away mad. We both went our separate ways, back to Springfield, me back to St. Louis. And God spoke. This is for us right here. This is for you guys, for whoever you have ought with right now. I was waiting for my twin brother to text me or call me to apologize. Because I knew I was right. 
Katie's laughing. She has. <laughs> Everyone's laughing here because we all know it. I was waiting for my twin brother to call me or text me and tell me his wrong. And that was, I was putting him on the hook for that. And God spoke to me as my wife and I were driving to her side of the family. You need to be wrong for the sake of the relationship. Even if you feel like you were wronged, you need to be wrong for the sake of relationship. You need to humble yourself for the sake of the relationship and admit the wrong that you did had, which was my wrong response to his wrong response. And so I texted my brother, and I said, hey man, I'm, I'm sorry, blah, 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 that things got heated, just want to say I love you, you know, no hard feelings, and we kind of talked it out, and it just opened up the pathway for healing. And I just want to say that to you guys right now as we end. Get with whoever it is, put down your pride, humble yourself, go to that person, and James says in chapter 5, if you confess your sins to one another, you will be healed. And so we're going to take some time right now to go into communion and just a time of prayer. You can get with whoever you want to, but man, I'm telling you guys, if you want to walk free in this life, if you want to fulfill what God has for you specifically and as a church, we got to do this. Like, you, if somebody's not here right now that you need to talk to, which that'd be nice if that was the case, write it down. Take this New Year season or whatever you want to call it. it doesn't, it's not a New Year message, but just let the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. And some of you, it's going to take a second. Some of you, it's going to take a while because it's been so far buried. I need, I'll, I'll repeat your question. Yeah, she's asking. Yeah. Yeah, her question is, what if, yeah, her question is, which we all have this case, what if you go to that person, humble yourself, ask for forgiveness, and they don't respond? Here's the thing. Why are you going to that person is the question. Because you love the person. But what is your ultimate, what are you trying to get from that person? Freedom is only in Christ. There will be people, right, there will be people in your life who will not reciprocate. And it's for your sake that you let them go and let God deal with them. Your, your heart has to be free. You have to be the one to forgive them, even if they don't reciprocate. And in that, you can walk in freedom. I have a very similar situation where the person in my life has been confronted like literally a hundred times on this issue. I won't talk about it, but it's an issue that's affected probably hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of people. There's nothing you can do other than to just pray for them and lift them up and forgive them in your heart. And the goal should never be, God, just have them wake up. So this sounds weird, but sometimes reconciliation may not be completely possible in this life. But you can be at a place of freedom in your heart where you are praying for that person daily and seeing them for who they are. And, and praying and hoping that they know who they are in the Lord. And we all, we all have that issue. And so we can talk more about it after the service, and maybe Sam or one of the elders can share more on, on that on that. But... I just, I just want us to get in a place, and even if that person, if the person you're thinking of doesn't reciprocate, don't let your heart be tied up in their response. 
Some of us, we have to forgive ourselves. Some of us, it's it, our, ourself is the enemy. So I was, and I'll close with this, I was praying the other day, getting ready for the message, and I just still felt this kind of thing in my heart because it's been about a month since I've been learning this stuff. And I've been walking in more and more freedom, and I just still felt this. And it's not about feelings, but there was still this block in my walk with the Lord. I'm like, God, I've confessed to this person. I've confessed to that person. I've done all these things. And I said, God, what's the answer? And I just felt like he quietly whispered me and said, you need to forgive yourself. Like you are holding on to things in the past that are defining you right now, where you've messed up. And so I want us to walk in that freedom. Father, I just thank you for this body of believers, Holy Spirit. We just release everything that's in our hearts, God, that may be against you, against ourselves, against others. Father, our, our lives are yours. You have called us to walk in unity and to pursue unity as best as we can. But you take care of the rest, Lord. We can do our part to go to our brother before we offer our gift at the altar, but Lord, it's in your hands what they do. God, I just thank you for the people in this body. I thank you for the people in this room that you are working on hearts, that you are bringing things to remembrance so that we can be set free in our hearts, so that we can be free to worship you and glorify you in this place, in this city. Just thank you for the pastors here that are faithfully serving this body. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.